0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to DamascusRoadOnline.com. I want to open up uh, the Word of God. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Genesis 15. We're going to read the chapter of Genesis 15. Right after I said I would try and condense this, Um, we're going to read the whole chapter. And then we're gonna spend the morning talking about it and jumping off of here. This is what Genesis fifteen says. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. And he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but... I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we expect to hear from you. We know that you're speaking. We know that this that your word is living and it's active and it's able to split us, to pierce us. And we want you to do that. We want to know you more truly. We want to know you more fully. And I pray that you would use this time that we could know you, that we could love you, that we could follow you and know that we are loved by you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. My daughter Lucy and I are reading uh, a series of books at bedtime. And in one of the books that we just finished, the main characters are on a rescue mission. And they're given four signs that they need to look for on this rescue mission in order to succeed and uh, save Prince Rilian. And one of the signs that they need to look for, it says, look for the writing in stone in the ruined city and do what it says. And as they're on, they're having trouble remembering all their signs, and they're traveling on, and they come into a blizzard. It just pops up out of nowhere, and they're fighting the wind, and they're fighting the snow, and they can't see anything. And they come up on a hill, and they see a town glowing, like with the fire and warmth, and they're starting to dream about warm baths and food and just... And being out of the cold again, and uh, but it's off in the distance, and they keep trudging through the blizzard, and they finally come up to a wall, a stone wall, where they get some protection from the wind, and they think about camping there for the night, but then they think about the town off in the distance and how much better that would be, and so they hoist themselves up on top of the wall, and the wind hits them in the face, and they, uh, they, they don't want to keep going, but they step forward and they come down on the other side of the wall and they notice it's almost like a hallway or corridor and it's moving in different directions, kind of like a maze. And they can't figure it out. They climb up again. They keep going. They finally make it to the city before sun sets and the gates close and they wake up the next morning having bathed, having had a hot meal, and they look out and they realize uh, the wall that they had just climbed over was actually the words, under me, And it was the ruined city. And they had passed by it without noticing. Because of all the things swirling around them, they had missed a sign. And so they have to work to backtrack and find out what's going on so they can uh, continue on the rescue mission. Sometimes I think living with God is like that. Like, we get lost. And it would help a great deal if we were able to pull up out of our present circumstances and see life from an aerial view, see a bigger picture of all that's going on. Sometimes, honestly, I think the Bible can be like that. The Bible is God's word to us, but often it just feels really dry. Why is that? Why is it that for Christians who love God, who believe in God, when we open up the Bible sometimes, it does not feel full of life. It feels like a chore. And I think some of that we can look back into the history of the Bible and recognize where it has come from and the road that it has traveled. So it started out being written on scrolls, right? Time, uh, tons and tons and tons of time to come out with the written word that was passed on. And very, very few people could get their hands on the written word. So that the likelihood of you or I having a copy of the Bible was next to nothing, Right? And this went on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So you and I relied on um, the priests to be able to hold the Word of God, to be able to expound the Word of God, to be able to share the Word of God with us. And the printing press changed all that. The printing press, for the first time, meant that a written word could be processed and passed on and put out like in multitudes so that everyday people could hold this thing in their hands and it got translated into multiple languages. So now you could could hold a Bible in your hands in your language. Everyday people could do it. This is what Kyle and Emily are about. Bringing the Bible to everyday people. And for the first time now, you and I are connecting with the Word of God personally. Like we are digging into it on our own. But then the enlightenment happened and the scientific... Uh, theory, scientific rationale took over and the Bible started to get scrutinized uh, according to scientific method. And the people who were best equipped to handle that were in universities and seminaries and they could dig into the, uh, the intricacies of the Bible to mine out what was really there and then they would pass that on to pastors in seminaries who would then convey all this wonderful knowledge to the church. And the Bible kind of came out of the people's hands again. You see what happens there? People who had wanted the Bible now felt like they weren't able to read the Bible. It's right there in our hands, but I pick it up and I don't know what it says because somebody smarter than me should have to tell me what's going on in here. And I don't think that's what God had in mind when he gave us his word. I don't think God made you to rely on me to feed on him, right? I don't believe that God made you to rely on somebody else to tell you what the word of God says. I believe in teaching, I believe that it helps when, we, when we're able to teach each other, when we're able to dig into scriptures. And I think seminaries are helpful in equipping us to do that. But I don't think that God wired you to need somebody else to get fed. I think he made you to walk with him and to read his word and to dig into that for awe and wonder on a personal level. I want you to follow God. I want you to hear from God. I want you to wake up into the authority and the power that God has for you. I want you to recognize that you don't come to Sunday morning to be fed, but that God equips you to feed yourself in him. That when we come together, this is about worship. And we are fed, but it's not the only place where we get it. It's like if we miss a Sunday, we starve. That's not, that's not God's plan. I want you to have confidence as you read your Bible. So we're starting a series today that we're calling Covenant and Kingdom. And it's an attempt to, to pull back and get an aerial view of the Bible, the two mega themes in the Bible of relationship and responsibility. Some people have called this the DNA of the Bible, the double helix working through all of the pages of Scripture, relationship and responsibility, covenant and kingdom. And we're going to take these six weeks through this Advent Christmas season to look at these mega themes and how God meets us and wants us to meet with Him. So covenant is all about relationship. It's all about being. We're not accomplishing. We're not doing. We're not producing anything. God invites us into a relationship with Him. In a covenant. And then kingdom is all about us having uh, responsible lives as citizens in his kingdom. It's about doing. So covenant relationship being and kingdom responsibility doing. These are the two mega themes going through the pages of the Bible. Today we're going to look at covenant. And then next week we're going to look at kingdom. Today we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah. Next week we'll look at kingdom with Joseph. And then each week following we'll, look at, we'll take a deeper look into the covenant and kingdom woven through uh, the Bible. Because we believe in this Christmas season that the manger really ultimately does lead to the cross. Which leads to the grave. Which leads to the rolled away stone and to life. Right? The manger leads to life for us. So we read Genesis 15, and it's in, uh, in the process of Abraham and Sarah going. And at the time, their names were Abram and Sarai. In Genesis 12, God shows up. They don't know him. And he says, I want you to leave everything that you've known, and I want you to go to the land that I will show you. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you direction. I want you to leave everything behind so that you can go here. And they do it. And he said, I'm going to make you the father of nations. Abram and Sarah uh, don't have children. And so, this is a promise to them of what is coming. And they show up in Genesis 15 and they still don't have children. Now, in the day, in, in Abram's day, to go out like that was, um, was really something. They didn't have well established, uh, lots and lots of well established cities. Or governments, the kind of wilderness was ruled by clans and tribes that warred with each other. And so to just go out on your own kind of meant you were not going to survive this. And in order to survive, you had to make a covenant with a chieftain, a chief of another tribe, to say, can I partner with you? I'll have your back, you have my back, my resources are your resources, your resources are my resources, And you tried to align yourself with a stronger chief, right? So that you would be protected. And Abram doesn't. In Genesis 15, how does God show up? He says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. And right there from the very beginning of this chapter, God is saying, you don't need to make human alliances like everybody else. I will be your alliance. I will be your shield. I will be your protection. You can find that in me. This is good news because Abram has somebody to protect him. And Abram also remembers right there at the beginning of chapter 15, he doesn't have kids. God has promised this great nation that will come out of and through him. And he's saying, God, you haven't yet fulfilled this. And I I. I want to know what's up. And God says, I'm still working here. It will still happen. And Genesis 15 tells us that Abram believes that. And then what he does next is he, he seeks to see if God will enter into covenant with him. Just like the chiefs uh, and the, uh, the clans, they would seek an alignment. They would seek a relationship to say, are we good here? Are we connected? Abram does that with God. And he says, bring me a heifer, (laughs) which to you and me wouldn't mean much. Like, all right, uh, that's one way to do it. He says, bring me a heifer and bring me a ram and bring me a sheep and bring me these birds. And Abraham knows exactly what to do. This is how covenants were cut between people, literally cut. So he brings the animals and he cuts them in half from head to toe and he lays them out in a gruesome, uh, vivid picture of the cost of a covenant. And then as he's doing it, Abram is walking between them. They've courted, called it the corridor of blood, the two halves of the animals that were split. And then you would cut the covenant by walking through them, and you would get to your covenant partner on the other side. To recognize covenants come at a cost, something dies in a substitute. Way, and you die to the old way of living, and you uh, start to live a new kind of life because this partnership changes everything. This covenant changes everything, and God says, "That's what I want to do with you." So Abraham does it. He waits. It says he drives away the birds when they come to uh, when they come to eat, and then. As the sun is setting, Abram starts to fall asleep. And even before night comes, it says this deep darkness settled. Abram falls asleep. And in his sleep, he sees God in that fire pot and the torch. God passing through uh, that corridor of blood. So that God, God is not making Abram be the only one to pass, be the only one to commit in the covenant. God himself is walking through and say, I commit myself to you. Now, this covenant is all about grace, right? Just as you would seek a stronger chief to align yourself with, and like, I'll give all of me to you, but that doesn't mean much. When you give yourself to me, that means everything. It's all about somebody stronger looking on the weaker and saying, I will bestow grace on you. And you, you build this covenant together. Abram gives up his old life. And I wonder if he ever wondered, sitting down by the fire at night, uh, would God ever do this for me? I just gave up my life for him. Would God ever give up his life for me? And this is what God is actually saying when he says, when he walks through. He says, I would die for you. Like in Genesis 15, we get glimmers of the cross. In Genesis 15, we get this foreshadowing of the cross. I am so committed to you. I'm so committed to this relationship. I would die for you. And Christmas, like we celebrate God coming on that mission for the purpose of dying, for the purpose of being one with us, so committed to the covenant that he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave anything out. That's how committed God is to us. And there's, other, there's two other pieces in the covenant. If you read on in the chapters of Genesis, coming in uh, chapter 17, chapter 16, Abram and Sarah, uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago, where they try to get ahead of God, and they try to get offspring in their own way, and Abram sleeps with one of uh, Sarai's maids, and they... She gets pregnant, and God says, that's not, that's not my way of doing things. I want you to wait on me. And in chapter 17, he says, I'm changing your name. Like there's an identity shift when this covenant happens. And he also says, I want you to bear a scar. I want you to bear a scar as part of this covenant. And Abram's like, okay, what's that look like? And God says, it's circumcision. And Abram's like, hmm, that is not what I had in mind. Uh, That is a really vulnerable position to put a a grown man or any male into. Kind of attached to that. And God says, "I I want you to be marked by me. And the significance of this is that as you enter into covenant, this is something that I want every future generation. Remember, count the stars if you can, right? that's what your future generations will look like and every generation will be passed on with this symbol it will be core the covenant will be right there in the passing on from one generation to another and God says i want you to be marked for me in this relationship and there again you could you could wonder if abram's like where's your mark do you carry scars which makes it really profound the day that Jesus shows up, having been crucified, having been killed, alive again, and he says, I want you to put your finger in my scars. I I can carry scars for you. God is willing to die for us, and he did. God's willing to be scarred for us, and he did. And he calls that out of us. In this covenant, God is saying that he's one with us. And the relationship that means everything. Everything that he has is yours. All of the resources at his disposal are ready and waiting for you. Everything that he has access to, you now have access to. That you actually have freedom to talk with God. That he's given you blessing and permission to talk with him. But it also costs. Now, now, Note here that behavior follows identity, right? Behavior doesn't define identity. Behavior reflects identity. And so God says, we're entering into this covenant together. We're entering into this relationship together. And I want you to live differently because of it. Genesis 22 talks about God showing up. Isaac had finally arrived. The son that God had promised to pass on future generations had finally come and God shows up and he says, I meant everything. We're in covenant together. All that you have is mine and I want him. And Abram doesn't blink, right? Abraham doesn't blink and he says, I stepped into this covenant with you and I meant it. You can have my son. And God says, okay, we're cool. Like you don't, You don't need to go all the way through it. Now I know that you mean it. Now I know that you're not holding anything back from me in this covenant of ours. There's no withholding. Jesus says, I want you to pick up your cross and follow me. Like, if you really want to live, I want you to lay down your life. I want you to withhold nothing from me as you enter into a covenant relationship with me. This is not to earn the covenant, right? The behavior follows the identity. The responsibility follows the relationship. I want you to be changed by me, and then I want your life to reflect it. I want you to pick up your cross, and I want you to follow me. And then he also says, He also this is an incredible statement, ask whatever you want in my name and it will be given to you. These, this is the language of covenant. All that I have access to, Jesus says, is yours, if you ask it in my name. Christmas celebrates the covenant and the kingdom breaking into earth. God takes on flesh. God says, it's not just about words anymore. This is about me coming to you in the word taking on flesh. A baby would grow all the way to the cross and he would give his life for us. And God said, this is a a two-way deal. This is a two-way relationship. We are one in this. As I give my life to you, will you give your life to me? I want it. And if you give it to me, you will more fully understand what it means to live By dying, covenant and kingdom. This is just the tip of the iceberg because I want you to be able to look in the Bible and say, I see what God is doing here. I see what God is doing here in the relationship and the responsibility. I want you to open up the Bible and be able to see the DNA woven through the pages. We'll talk more in the coming weeks. For now, for this morning, To end here. If you have entered into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. If you have entered into a covenant relationship with God through Jesus. You are a child of the king of the universe. Everything he has is yours. You don't have to fight for security. You have security in him. You can know that you are secure and you can leave your old identity behind and you can live in this new life. If you don't have a covenant relationship with Jesus, like you say, I I have withheld from you. I have not even wanted to enter into. Know that he's inviting you know that he sees you and he loves you and he's calling your name, inviting you into a relationship that you don't have to earn, that you don't have to be responsible for first. The relationship is offered before we've done anything. If you want that, take it. It means giving up your life and bowing before Jesus and then really having the life that he gives. If you have it, live like it. I love the little lyric in a David Crowder song that says, if you're free, prove it. If you're free, prove it. And if you're not, let Jesus break the chains. Let's live in the covenant, church. Let's live in this covenant. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are grateful to you that you see us, that you know us, that you love us. We're grateful that you don't leave us on our own. In a world that's full of danger, like Abram setting out uh, with tribes and clans at every corner, you were his shield. And you don't change. You remain our shield today. I pray for these six weeks that you would give us a bigger picture of what you're doing in the Bible. Help us to pull back and see you and what you're doing in the covenant and kingdom, in the relationship and responsibility, in the invitation and challenge that you call us into. As we turn to communion now, Jesus, we just want to say thank you. We thank you that you were so committed to this covenant that you would die, you would give up your life to protect us, to win us back, to rescue us. And as we take communion, we reflect on you, the price you paid, the death you died, and the life you now live so that we can also live. Amen.